adesso parte il tiro, rete, 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 un gol straordinario! And welcome to Red to the Swing. I'm your host for this week, Paolo Mangoni. And as usual, Michael D'Angelo, welcome. Rondo. <laughs> uh, uh, Jiju? Is it Jiju? Did I get that right, Julian D'Angelo? Yeah, we're going with Jiju now. Okay. How's everybody doing tonight? Oh, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, what about what about Chris Pacelli, Mr. Chris Pacelli? Welcome. Hello, everybody. So, uh, Michael, what do you think of that song? I like it actually. I thought it was very um, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I thought it was quite fitting to open up, right? Sole uh, Milano makes makes sense, right? Sunny times there. Sunny times. Yes. Currently, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, I, c- I kind of want to start this episode in a different format as usual uh i wanted to bring the discussion uh topics to start with and then uh finish up finish off with uh review and preview for uh for next week so there's an interesting article in uh calcio e finanza that that caught all of our eyes i think uh how fifa is planning to limit the number of loans per team. So in July, uh, FIFA is planning to limit the, num- the max- maximum number of loans uh, per team to eight, uh, starting in uh, starting on July 1st. So what was interesting is that in the top 10, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, seven teams were Italian that were in the top 10 for the max amount of, or the highest number of loans uh in europe so just we to have, confirm is that yeah. outgoing loans uh, to be honest with you uh, michael look that up uh, i think it could be total loans okay. in and out but uh look up the uh from what i understand is that they're trying to limit uh outgoing i think that's the biggest um issues because the major teams like chelsea for example i don't know if you remember uh chelsea and that controversy is how they had so many players out on loan uh, because they were making money as well as a way to kind of circumvent some sort of, some of the rules as well. So clubs yeah. will be limited to a maximum of eight players loaned in and eight players loaned out at any one time in 22-23 season. The quotas will be cut to seven in the season after and six from the season starting after July 1st, 2024. Okay, there you go, Chris. In, eight, in, out. Right. Or eight in, eight out. There you go. Um, so I guess the, the totals here is that the, to- the total number of loans in and out. So Atalanta have uh, 60 loans for uh, 54 players. Sassuolo, 46 loans for 36 players. Uh, oh, Fiorentina, uh, 
43 loans for 39 players. Genoa, 40 loans for 35 players. Juventus, 39 loans for 35 players. Inter, 37 loans for 33 players. Napoli, 35 loans for 30, uh, 30 players. So, uh, how are the Italian teams going to do it? It's like when Italy got rid of the co-ownership. That was a big, uh, that was a big change in the Italian game. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, the, the co-ownership deals uh, yeah. in, in Italy. So, uh, how, let's go, let's do a round table. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish up last, uh, ideas of how to solve, uh, this problem for, for the Italian teams. We'll start with Chris. I think, I mean, one option that clubs are going to have to, or sorry, that SETI is going to have to explore is the option of having a, a quote B team. Now I, I know, you know, soccer in Italy isn't really set up for that, but you know, maybe formal arrangements have to be made where, you know, a Serie A club can have, again, I'm using air quotes here, uh, a f- team either at the Serie B or the Lega Pro level where if they send players on loan to that club, it doesn't count towards their quota. I don't even know if that's an option, but they'll have to come up with something along those lines. The only other thing I'll add, because I, I think it's a good discussion topic, so I want to make sure we all get, get time here, is that I would hope that FIFA would consider, or maybe there already is a provision in there that says players, you know, 21 and under that, you know, either come in or go out on loan. That doesn't count towards your limit of eight players, because I want to say for the most part, you know, if a young player is going out on loan, it's because the parent club, you know, wants that player to get more playing time. So limiting clubs, I, I wonder if young players kind of, get forgotten because now instead of sending them out on loan uh you know they're stashed at the bottom of the roster and they don't get to play much uh, on the flip side you could argue it's going to force clubs to play their young players more uh, i haven't thought about it too much but i think some sort of clause that younger players um kind of get a bit of an exception would be should be at least considered uh julian what do you think yeah i kind of agree with chris because i feel like if they don't do that, all you're going to end up is with teams trying to find other ways to bend the rules, right? Like, I mean, Inter, I see Inter do it now with, hey, we'll sell you this player, but we'll buy him back on a gentleman's agreement in a year. Like, you're just going to wind up with every team doing that. Um, so, I see what they're trying to do, and I think it is the right move. I didn't realize, to be honest, like, there were that many players mm-hmm. on loan. Like, yeah, that's excessive. Um, but, yeah, I think starting at eight might be a little low. Maybe they should have started kind of at ten and then worked their way down from there. But I understand what they're trying to do, and hearing those numbers, it makes a lot of sense. And Michael, yeah, I was going to say something similar to what Julian said. Like that's uh, again, that amount of players is like a lot. Because what what was who's the first non-Italian club in that list? I think it was Dynamo Zagreb. And how many do they have? Uh, between sixteen forty six, put it that way. Okay, so still, still a lot. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's just like those are crazy numbers. Um, and I think again, what Julian's saying about you're gonna perhaps see more teams doing something like, okay, well, we're gonna have, we're just gonna sell these players instead of loaning them, so we get money in, but we'll have clauses in these contracts so that we can buy them back for whatever for, you know, an extra million or something in in two years if we want to bring them back you know like there has to be a way 
And again, if Chris's point of uh, having some sort of uh, farm team for them, um, there's going to have to be some way for this to exist because otherwise, again, you're literally just going to have top teams poaching talent when they need them. And then they're just going to be spending money on talent. Like it's, there's no way for them to operate outside of that. And they're already complaining that they have no money. So it's, uh, th- there's got to be more rhyme and reason to it than just saying, oh, we want to cut back on, I guess, these weird or, you know, millions of players who are out on loan at Italian clubs. That seems like it's really targeting this group of, of teams, right? Well, it, it, it is because there are no Spanish teams in the top 10. They there have no... B teams though, right? Exactly. There are the no German anyways, teams. I don't know if they all do, but yeah, there are no German teams in the top ten. And as Chris pointed out, is because they have B teams. So in Italy, there is a need to loan out a lot of players uh, to Lega Pro or to uh, Serie B because that's the only way for players to get first team experience uh, at a lower division. So if they actually uh, took up the FIGC's offer to put in B teams like Juventus did. How long ago was that now, Michael? Uh, at least like three, four years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least three, four years ago now. They wouldn't be in this problem. Uh, that's why That's why I think Juventus at, at 39 loans, I think they're kind of you know t- taking advantage of the fact that there's no limit. But... You'll, they they can easily uh, reduce the number of loans because and, and actually have a stronger U23 team who can probably actually compete instead of just you know having a U23 team so they can just you know uh, collect uh, players. Uh, and what was interesting is I read uh, an average for Spain, Germany, and France of the number of loans per team was in Spain eight point eight. Uh, Germany 7.9 and France 7.7. So it seems like Italy is the only country that is struggling per se with of controlling the number of loans per team. You know what you might see is like some sort of, I guess, yeah, like you're saying the U23s that might have some sort of like reserve team competition that ends up being formed in Italy specifically. And like somehow it's a different club or, or again like like it's like a farm team kind of idea like there, there's going to be something like that that's going to pop up so i think chris correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure they have something like that in england in where sorry in england with uh the under 23 team yeah with like um uh with reserve team so i'm assuming it's under 23s yeah sorry yeah i kind of jumped the gun i believe it's an under 23 league that they have there and so they'll they'll send their younger players there uh, i guess so i guess that's their workaround yeah, so I guess, Michael, what what you're probably insinuating that is to actually create a league for mm-hmm. U23 teams so they can all play at. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that that's most likely will be the way to go because if you have uh, – a, a, so all the teams in Syria okay, uh, that, that are in there that season must field a U23 team in this reserve league so to um, – so they can control the number of loans uh, per team. So now they're being forced to do something that they should have done four years ago mm-hmm. and actually create a reserve team, a B team, not put them in, in the professional leagues, which I understand the problems that, that are, arise from that 
in Lega Pro where you reduce the number of smaller clubs uh, that participate. There's like six, I think we talked about it last week, there's like 60 clubs in, in Lega Pro. And, and they lose the amount of money uh, because they can't compete with the reserve teams from Syria. But at this point, there's no choice. Either you create a reserve uh, reserve league, or like the uh, like you do in Spain, have them to play in the second division or Liga Pro, and and, and they can't be promoted uh, to Syria. Right. Yeah, I don't know what the right tactic would be, um, but again, it's, I'm just curious. Like, what what are they trying to? What what's the point of this again? Measure is it to uh, like clean up uh, the transfer I th- business. I think you know that's what, I mean? what like, it what, is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. because yeah. uh, loans like the coral ownership uh, things, uh, the deals that they were doing, it's a way to kind of circumvent um, rules, like uh, like like FFP. I think it would be, it would be a way to. To circumvent FFP, I know Inter did that a lot. A lot of loans to, um, to to flaunt or to get out of FFP, where they send people on loan, and then uh, the following season that club bought them out uh, for X amount of money. I mean, it, it's a great way. It's a great way to circumvent the rules. I understand that, but now that FIFA has this um, will to clean up the transfer market because of a certain agent who has profited <laughs> from it. Is he still in the hospital? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to go into him because I don't want to say anything mean and derogatory. So moving on. <laughs> uh, and so this is the first the first main thing that they're doing in the transfer market. The next is going to be the limiting the agent fees if they haven't already done so. Um, so let's talk about the benefits. We already talked about we talked about the negative. I want to get your idea on on what what a, what I see as a, as a positive. Uh, let's take the national team. So Mancini has been struggling to find players, good players, uh, to fill fill some of the problems or some of the gaps that has created the lack of goal scoring and the lack of actually competent defenders that are not named Leonardo Bonucci. Uh, a reserve or B team will actually give uh, the national team a solid uh, base, a solid pool of talent that can be fostered and developed without actually getting them to play in Syria. Uh, Michael, what, what do you think about that? Sorry, say it again. So a reserve league or a, 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 a series of B teams in the lower divisions can actually get uh, create a, a, pool, like a national pool uh, uh, or national talent pool that can be fostered uh, without them playing in Syria. Okay. And like, so like my point is that it could help the national team, which uh, all of the, in, for example, in history, they have tried to ban foreigners uh, they have tried to get a a, a number a, ma- a minimum number of Italian teams on uh, or Italian excuse me Italian players on teams. None of that has worked to actually create mm-hmm. a solid uh, national pool of players. So maybe this reserve league will help. What do you think? 
So the only thing about, I understand what you're saying, but the reserve league would not just consist of Italian players, right? Because you can buy any player and put them in these reserve. Yes. Yeah. So it's not, it's not just Italian talent. Right. But yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to that idea. I think it's, it's a, it, it has a potential upside of that. Right. Cause you, it just depends on what kind of, um, I guess, level of competition you have going in those reserve leagues, right? Like if you have all the teams uh, providing a, a, a reserve squad um, that, you know, typically would have players that are pushing for spots on their first team, then yeah, maybe. Be interesting. Chris, what do you think? The only thing, not the only thing, one of the benefits, I guess, of the players going to City B or Lega Pro is that they are in a professional environment, right? You're you're playing mm-hmm. with guys whose you know jobs are on the line, and you know if you get relegated, they're making less money, and if you get promoted, there's that incentive to make more money. So I think for young players to be in that environment, there's a lot for them to learn. I don't know if you get that same environment in a U23 league where. I don't know if there would be promotion relegation because it's really more so about giving young players a chance to develop, which I also think is a good idea. Uh, So I don't know how you strike that balance of trying to introduce these young players to being a professional and playing against professionals, you know, day in and day out, but also giving them a platform to develop and, you know, not necessarily have to worry about where they're going to be playing next year. So yeah, I, I, I see the benefits to it, but I, I think that I have to be a deep dive there to see if that's what's best for the young players because I think that's what the focus is on. Julie? Yeah, I actually was going to say what Chris just said. I don't like the idea of a U23 league, um, mainly for all those reasons, right? If they get B teams in the lower divisions, I think that's a better way to go. Um, but... Yeah, I didn't realize, again, as I said earlier, I didn't realize the loan numbers were that high. I think something does need to be done. Um, And it might just mean, right, like, teams are just going to have to sell their players, quite frankly. They're not going to be able to hang on to them for years and years longer than they need to. And who knows, that may actually help player development in general. Yeah, and I mean, that might also help, you know, uh, lower teams who you know, are the benefactors of uh, these teams who actually have to unload these contracts, right? They just can't hold them and, and, you know, getting their, their funds, you know, sucked out by these parent clubs who, who own the rights to these players, right? They they would actually get to own them. And and if they do develop, they get to sell them for, you know, a profit. So that, that is encouraging to me as well. Uh, I just want to point out that, that the B B teams um, proposal that they had a few years ago was actually the only competent uh, idea that the FIGC has proposed in the last 10 years. (laughs) I just want to go over, you know, two ideas that they proposed in the last like six months. It was Serie A playoffs (laughs) and a North American tournament. So I thought here, you loved the North American tournament. <laughs> Julian is being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, here on this podcast, we actually talk about good ideas. 
<laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. Some of the time is just for, for laughs. But, uh, but, but again, I, for me, I think it's, it's we have to follow either England or Germany as a model. And I think the Germans who made the changes after Euro 2004, they completely, I think, Chris, I think you, you mentioned this prior, uh, um, like early on when we first started doing the podcast, about how that loss forced a, like, a radical change in how uh, the Bundesliga developed its players. And I think, I think, I think Syria as a, as a league now with the fact that they have to get a new uh, CEO um, should take this opportunity and actually look at itself. And the fact that they have to, you know, react to these new changes not to actually change the structure of the league itself, but to complement it. That's what I'm trying to get at. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you need to necessarily copy what the Bundesliga or what the Premier League are doing. You can probably take good things from both and you can probably critique things from both. So I think it's a matter of finding what's best for the you know the ecosystem if I can use that word for for calcio and, and kind of take it from there so uh, yeah I wouldn't necessarily copy one or the other but uh, there, there's probably not probably they have to find a solution uh, because clearly you know what they're doing now is is not going to be allowed you know in the next two or three years and I'm sure all the big clubs are going to you know look to the league to provide them with a solution with a focus on the young players. Yes. It, it, that won't happen because it, it won't happen. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be funny, but or a pessimist. It, it. I. I know it won't happen, and and the fact that I, I think it's going to come down to what Michael said is that they're going to they're going to be forced to sell those players to lower clubs, and I think that's going to be the way, maybe to help lower clubs because they're dropping like flies, uh, and, and to stay afloat where they might find a diamond in the rough and then they sell that player back to the top mm-hmm. flight, uh, a top flight team for, I don't know, 10 million, which will, or England, or, England, uh, <laughs> or which will essentially guarantee their survival for uh, the next fiscal year. Michael, last yeah. thoughts. Um, yeah. I just had one more thought and let me know what you guys think on this. Like how does this impact young star players like star players you know like uh young i guess would be like sub i guess 23 really like how old is vlavich vlavich is 22 now mm-hmm. like what is what's the impact on it just happens that Juve have no uh depth at forward right so obviously he's going to play even fiorentina he was obviously a starter there but is it going to really impact those star players who are like just turning pro but are very good and can play for a top team or or does it does it mean that they're going to stay at these like smaller clubs longer because you know like does that is there any effect on that i would what do you think yeah yeah i just think if it stays the way it's presented now clubs you know they're gonna they're gonna be forced to you know prioritize you know who are the eight players we want to send out this year and 
you know, the more I think about it, I think clubs will, I think they would find it hard to send an older player. And I say older, I say, you know, 25 plus out on loan because, you know, the 25 year old, you know, they're not really going to get ex- exceptionally better between 25 and 27, but mm-hmm. that 20 year old could get exceptionally better between 20 and 23. So I think they would have to prioritize or you would expect them to prioritize using those eight slots on younger players. And then with older players, either burying them on the bench or trying much harder to, to sell them. Cause that's yeah, a good question. Uh, there's going to be some young players that are going to be in a, in a tough position uh, where they're, you know, a squad player with their SETI A club, or they could go and be a starter at a SETI B club, but the club has to decide, are, are they worth that, that one spot? Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's a good question. Uh, before, before I let Julian answer, uh, maybe with the, I'll, I'll say this, uh, I'll, I'll give her an example. Let's use Stefano Sensi as an example. Julian. <laughs> He's, but I'm, yeah, I mean, Inter, again, they could have sold him if they wanted. I was when, sorry, I'm rambling here. When you announced eight players, I was going through in my head, like, who, who does Inter have on loan? I actually forgot about Sensi. So in Serie A, you have Sensi, you have Pinamonti, you have Van Usten. Serie B, you have Pirola, you have Muletieri. Um, out in the Uber Eats League, you have Agume, you have Satriano now. Um, and that doesn't include really any of the other younger guys who are scattered throughout smaller leagues. Esposito in Switzerland. Exactly. Esposito in Switzerland. You have Philip Stankovic and another midfielder out in the second division Dutch League. Like, So, yeah, they would have to decide what they would do with players, right? So, Sensi... Maybe they would have sold him. Maybe that meant they would have actually had to sell one of the players who was already on loan. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it'll make clubs, it'll force clubs to have to make a decision on what to do with their players as opposed to just, hey, we can send him on loan for six months yeah. and then he'll come back. Hopefully it'd be better. And I guess to you know Chris's point and your point as well, like I guess that you're right that it, it would impact maybe the older players and, you know, Players like, I guess, if we're looking at uh, just because Juve is the one that I know, I guess, the most about. But like Douglas Costa, for example, who's an older who's an older player who still is on loan from Juventus, technically. So you're going to have less players like that in the coffers of these teams, right? Then they'll likely just have to be transferred out. See, <laughs> yeah, you're right, and the, and this will force teams to take losses. That's yeah. why they're still on loan. Well, and that's it exactly. But again, what like? I guess it's because they want they want teams to take losses. I don't know. Like, what's the point of this? So the, I thought we we should want the teams to flourish, right? So whatever whatever works. But I guess if you, I don't know. There there has to be some more, I guess, thought to this before I'm I'm on board 100. percent But obviously they're going to do it anyway. So so it's to my point is that. It's not. It's not reflecting the true economic state of the club. That's that's what they're trying to get at. They're trying to stop teams from um, hiding their problems by sending a bunch of players out on loan, hoarding the players. Okay, and then and then they can't sell them because they know that it, they're going to take a loss, and then by accumulating all of those losses they get into FFP problems. 
or problems. <clears throat> Excuse me, problems. Mm-hmm. So that that's the issue, is that they're trying to force teams to decide, as Julian said, on players and the old, especially the older players, because they have uh, a lot. Uh, what's the 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 amortized value? They have a lot higher amortized value in the sense that they bought it, they bought the player, and as they get older, their 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 value diminishes. The way to get around that is that they loan these players out, so they still get a a, a loan fee, uh, and then they don't have to cover their wages. That's where. Um, that's where they make money. Like loaning players out can actually gain uh, a club a lot of money. Well, a lot of money in quotation marks, but can can offset some of their losses before selling that player. Yeah, no, I hundred percent. Again, like you look at uh, Ramsey, right? Like he was useless. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's got tons of wages that that he's he's owed because that's what they signed him to. Um, but he's not playing, so right, like it's yeah. Well, then, if you, if you wanted to keep talking about Juventus, sorry, sorry, viewers or listeners, but uh, <laughs> well, the other guys aren't aren't contributing uh, with their own teams, so <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did a little bit, yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Julian did. Um, Chris just doesn't want to talk about Milan's troubles. Kuliseski <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a perfect example. Expand on that. Well, uh, the fact that they they put in a high. Um, a very difficult condition so that uh, Tottenham can buy him out. Like a, a, a difficult bio condition. If we'll see, maybe it's 50, 50 that Kulusevsky does hit those targets and, and Tottenham has to buy him out. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's say he just misses uh, the, the, um, the stats uh, bio clause and Tottenham finishing fifth and don't make uh, champions league. He goes back to Juventus, mm-hmm. and Juventus collect a what was the fee like five million, ten million of of the loan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So whatever they, it was, they, they pocket ten million right then and there, and 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 Kulusevski comes back. Okay. See what I mean? So well, yeah, but but expand, continue. And, well, okay, well, in the sense that they get a player who had a half decent season at Tottenham play. Uh, uh, Let's look at like he said. If if he doesn't hit the conditions and they don't make Champions League, he he may have played the whole season, had a decent season, like he scored against uh, Manchester City, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he did. And 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 comes back after having a half a season under his belt, under his belt, maybe in better form than when he left Juventus. And you get you collect ten million euros, and you get a player who's been uh, rejuvenated in form. That's my whole point. Is that that this this loan deal is a win for Juventus because they have no limits on players who they can send out on loan or incoming loans, and and if they do sell them, they still make they probably break even. So that that that's what they're trying to limit in the fact that team or clubs can uh, manipulate the transfer market like that. And and to be honest, with you, that that Kulusevski loan deal was was a brilliant piece of business on Juventus's part. I'm not, I'm not just tuning the horns of a Juventus <laughs> fan, but yeah, but that's because they sent Paratici to Spurs as a double agent. Yeah, yeah. So 
so th so that that's what I'm trying to explain, Michael, is that clubs can still make money off loans even though the player is not playing for them. I think uh, I think he was having an issue with his mic. Oh, okay, there you go, uh, Chris. Then, uh, well, he's um, have, uh, fixing audio problems. What do you think? No, I mean, it's it's a good discussion. Obviously, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think depending on, you know, what tier of club you are, you're going to have different, uh, not demands, what's we're looking for, different uh, different needs, different requirements. So if if Serie A, or not, if, 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 uh, if the league in general comes up with a system or a proposal, it's going to be difficult for them to, to come up with something that, not that it's going to make everybody happy, but but at least gives every club, you know, from the the Inters, the Milans, the Juves, to your Udinese, your Sampdoria, to your, you know, newly promoted clubs. There has to be a way for them to kind of fit within that system, regardless of which tier they're at. So it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm curious to see what they come up with, if anything. And maybe they can start by listening to this episode and <laughs> go from there. <laughs> Uh, so Michael, uh, if you want to just wrap up, uh, or your, uh, get, I want to get your, your response to, to my thoughts and then, uh, Julian, Chris, if you have any last thoughts and then we'll, we'll move on. On specifically on like Kulisevsky. Yeah. Like the, the coolest in the sense that, uh, Juventus loaned him out for 10 million. Uh, he's playing. Uh, and then if you, uh, Tottenham don't make champions league, he most likely will pay the majority of the games and, uh, most likely will go back to Juventus if they don't make Champions League. But what is like? What's your point? Is what I'm saying. My, like, my what... point is that they pocketed 10 million and then they get back a player who has played uh, majority of the games in better form than when he left. Okay, but and again, those are all just arguments for loaning out players. What is your point in relation to this ruling and how they... that affects? So that's what they're trying to limit. They're trying to limit clubs making money off loans. And, and exploiting the, chan the the loophole in the transfer market. Okay. Because, like you said, Michael, they have to – that is not a reflection of the club's, like, true economic state in the sense that they're hoarding players and they're, like, using uh, players to loan out so they can uh, cover losses. Right. Is that – because when you think about it, it's not really sporting-like – and it's not really fair. It's, yeah. It's, again, right now, it's a, uh, it's a reaction to what's available. And that's always going to be the case, right? They're always going to find ways to get around and, and to function in the most efficient way for them. Because again, there's obviously issues with, um, with finances all over Europe, right. All over these leagues. So even if this, even if this does succeed in that way, I think either you're going to find that uh, these teams will then struggle and there's going to be an issue or uh, perhaps they're going to be finding other loopholes that, that work out in their favor. Maybe they don't again, like we said earlier, like there's going to be some other um, consequence like uh, contracts with uh, 
buy back clauses, et cetera, for whatever stupid small amounts, right? Like, there's always going to be ways that they're going to get around it. They just need to figure out what, what that next thing is. And that's going to have to happen if that's, if this is what kind of takes place. Okay. So to your point, whatever that, that loophole that they create, it's just going to be closed in, in another two years. And then an up, it's a never ending circle. Uh, yeah. Of, you know, that's essentially what, what life is. Right. So, um, but again, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it's FIFA's job to restrict clubs in conducting business successfully. It's FIFA's job to make sure that the game is, I guess, uh, competitive and, and done fairly. So if what they're doing is just impeding clubs from competing, I think that's an issue. If it's doing it because they want to um, create a more level playing field among more teams, again, maybe that's more admirable, but realistically, is that, uh, is that a likely scenario at the end of the day? That's just my question to that. Something, sorry, I know I think Julian was supposed to go first, but I just had a thought. I don't know if this is legitimate, but I think from just from our discussion, if it seems like, if, and if we're interpreting everything correctly, you know, this will lead to obviously less players going out on loan and potentially more transfers happening or uh, players just running out their contracts. But if we can agree that less loans will potentially lead to more transfers. I don't know if any of you guys can confirm, but I thought that with every transfer that was done, FIFA got a piece of it. I don't think it's a big piece, but have you heard that before or read that? Is that, or am I just making something up? Because what I was getting at is, is it possible that part of this is that by reducing the number of loans, FIFA is hoping Clubs have to resort to selling players more often, and Therefore, that generates more money. Not that FIFA needs more money, but we all know what kind of organization they are. Right. Um, anyways, They're I don't know if that's respectable a respectable organization. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Have any of you guys heard of that before? Does that I don't know. A piece of the pie. Uh, okay, Michael, look that up. But I, uh, while he looks that up, I do know that transfers do create. Uh, was it the the con- uh, the solidarity contributions to previous clubs? Mm-hmm. So, for example, Jonathan David, when he was sold to uh, Lille, uh, uh, the club that he played in Ottawa, didn't they receive a solidarity contribution? Yeah, it, it trickles all the way down. I mean, obviously, I'm sure when Jonathan David goes from Lille to wherever he goes to next, I'm sure you know Gank is probably getting a piece of that as well. So. Uh, yeah, anyways, that was just a thought I had, was that if maybe part of this plan was to generate more transfers instead of loans, uh, and, and that's generating more money somehow, some way that we're just not understanding right now, but yeah. just a thought I had. But, but I mean, that's an interesting idea, because let's say if it's, you know, uh, Mike uh, can't find if FIFA gets a, gets a piece, but let's say it's, it's the fact to generate more transfers, so there's more solidarity contributions. To to, uh, to to the previous clubs. Yeah. I mean, in theory, that seems like a admirable um, idea. Julian, what do you think? Um, I think, I mean, yeah, it obviously involves them 
spreading the wealth a little bit more. Um, but I, to be honest, I don't think that's their intent. I think that's more of a byproduct of what's going on. Yeah, I can't uh, find whether or not FIFA gets a cut. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't okay. know if they do. Really. Uh, Michael, last thought before we move on. Uh, I'm I, again. I'm all for um, making it a more equitable situation for everybody. I just think that they need to be careful, and you know, they have a. They already have these brands that are very powerful and that are very, um, uh, I guess, influential. And, and maybe they're, this is them trying to find ways to limit their power and kind of uh, ensure that they really are the authority on, you know, controlling the direction of the sport, uh, especially, you know, the way that, it, the way that it is right now. I think it, it, it's just, Maybe this is the first of a few things that we're going to see where FIFA is trying to impose things to mitigate teams being able to venture off into offshoot competitions. Uh, that's a very good point. Um, okay, uh, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. Uh, thank you. It was, it was um, expansive, and we covered a lot of uh, theories a lot of uh, byproducts and a lot of consequences. And uh, I want to thank all of you for, for this, uh, for this conversation and your contributions. Uh, so let's move on, Chris, uh, since we're doing everything backwards, I believe uh, your segment is up next. Indeed. Uh, just give me a second here. All right. So who am I? Um, yeah, so essentially the discussion we just had uh, replaced the, the usual discussions we bring up. Uh, so we'll jump into it for this week with hint number one. Uh, so this European is currently with his first. And sorry, I need to double check that this player is European. I was just assuming. So <laughs> you guys talk amongst yourselves before. Okay, first uh, I proceed. I'll, I'll do this. Who oh, am I? Yeah, and you don't know if he's European. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm he's European. Okay. I had to uh, I had to triple check. So, yes, this European is currently with his first Serie A club. That was hint number one. Hint number two. Uh, this player uh, came from a European club outside of the top five leagues. Uh, so just for anybody who's new, uh, top five leagues being uh, England, Germany, Spain, France, and Italy. Um, and then hint number three, uh, this player is currently in on loan with an obligation to buy. So hint number one, this European is currently with his first Serie A club. Hint number two, he came from a European club outside of the top five leagues. And then hint number three, he is currently on loan with an obligation to buy. Five minute timer has begun. European... On loan with obligation to buy. I'll add European attacker. I think I gave you guys a hint last week as well. This European attacker. So should we, again, outside of the top five leagues, so what league is that? Uh, England, France, Italy, Germany, Spain. But outside of that, so what's the yeah. what's the next one? The... Uh, you got Holland, Belgium, Portugal. Portugal. 
any teams, any player from there that sounds like okay. The way he does it, who 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 has made headlines? Who scored recently? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Who scored recently? Um, uh, there was that Jurich who scored uh, for Salernitana against Milan. Um, who else? Uh, uh, Ekuban, but I don't. I don't think he's Nigerian. I think. Um, Reminder: You can't ask a question, which I can refuse, or you have the optional bonus hint. This is gonna be hard. I think we need a question and the bonus hint. (laughs) Let's let's do the bonus hint because I don't even know what question to ask. Yeah. Okay. So your bonus hint uh, in his first 10 appearances, and again, this is his first year in Serie A. So in his first 10 appearances, he scored four goals. Interesting. And that would have been this year. Hmm. What about uh, uh, T. Henry? It's possible. Oh, yeah, that's actually not a bad shout. I have no idea where he came from. I don't either. But how many goals does he have? He scored a couple, at least. Yeah. Because I know he scored against Inter. I think. I think it was Inter. Yeah, he did. Um, that was later, though. That was the, I think. So what was the hint about the top five leagues, Chris? Again, it was he just came from one, or he's never played in a top five league? Uh, so the club that he was with before he came to Serie A yeah. is outside of the top five leagues. Okay, okay, not okay. got it. So it's not that he wasn't at... Like, oh, wait a minute. What about Okureke? If, if we're talking about... Uh... He's not European, though. He's oh, Nigerian. That's right. Two minutes left. Okay, what's the league that he came from? <laughs> He came from Portugal. Mm. Beto. Yeah. Beto. Shit. You get half a point for this week. I, so I, 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 yeah. gave, I gave you the answer, by it. That's why I was skeptical. Basically, you said Portugal. I was like, oh, yeah. About telling you which country. And well, okay, we're real now close. Now I regret it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, give, we'll say that was a loss. That one was. Yeah, no, because we did mention, though, Portugal, Holland, yeah. and Belgium. Yeah. So, okay. My my very first when I was first putting the hints together, I initially had this Portuguese, and then this Portuguese attacker, and then I changed it to European. And then as I was reading it, I go, "Shit, was he? Did I just? Because I knew he yeah, played in Portugal, and then maybe I was just assuming that he was from Portugal, but uh, double checked that. No, but the thing on football manager, I think he's listed as Portuguese. Yeah, it says transfer market as well. Same thing. So, yes, Beto from Udinese. He had a hot start, as we all know, and he's kind of cooled off a little bit. But, um, yeah. Okay, well, that was was a tough one if it wasn't for the uh, uh, Portugal one. So, uh, there you go. That's uh, the first segment. 
Uh, I hope uh, our listeners enjoyed uh, the new format. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if we keep it or not. Depends if we have uh, interesting discussion topics like we had uh, this week. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, Syria and Europe. So we'll be right back. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, so let's get let's get straight into it. Uh, well, first, Michael, I want your thoughts about that song. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's got yeah. a, a, he sounds familiar, but um, I don't know where to place him. Uh, you remember the song that's uh, I think it's called "Viva la Mama." I think it is. Yeah, I don't think it's, that's where it is. Maybe it just sounds like every other Italian singer. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> from that era. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I like that song. Uh, the lyrics uh, intrigue me. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into it. Enough chit chat. Uh, it was a wild weekend. Wild weekend. That's, wild. Uh, let, 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 let's get. Um, actually, you know what? Let's go straight into the games. Let's start with uh, the first game of the weekend, which was played on Friday, because Juventus uh, play on Tuesday. It's the Derby della Mole. Uh, interesting start. To the game that was that did not start yet, uh, Rugani went down injured uh, in uh, warm up, so Alexandro had to move to center back. Uh, honestly, Juventus, uh, excuse me, Torino had most of the goal scoring opportunity in this game. Uh, the only improvement that I saw from Juventus is that they actually had um, good attacking set pieces, uh, so they actually scored in their second straight game off a corner where Delict uh, put uh, put in Quadrado's uh, corner from the at, at the far post uh, to make it one nothing. So the game changed, in my opinion, in the second half uh, when Dybala was forced to come off injured. Uh, at halftime, uh, Pellegrini went down injured. So you had uh, three of the back four for Juventus were makeshift defenders. Uh, like I said, Alexandro was playing center back. DeShilio was playing on his opposite side. And then uh, you had uh, Quadrado playing right back. So with that, um, event, uh, sorry, excuse me, Torino had the better chances of the second half. Uh, Juventus had no offensive rhythm after DiBala went off injured. Uh, Brecolo, who I keep saying that is... Uh, Torino's best player delivered a nice cross for Bellotti, who uh, tied it up on the volley. Again, makeshift center back Alexandro completely missed the header. Uh, I was saying to you guys that if Rugani was there, uh, perhaps you would have been better positioned to actually defend uh, Bellotti because if you watch the replay, uh, Alexandro leaves him completely unmarked and then. When and then he was too late and too far away from the ball to actually try to clear uh, with a diving header. Um, Brecolo could have actually 
won the game for Torino uh, towards the end. Created a great opportunity for uh, Mandragora, who pulled it wide. So, uh, Allegri, Allegri called it at the end of the game. He said it was a good point. Uh, and, like, I have no choice but to agree, considering the fact that, you know, three players went down injured in this game. Michael? Yeah, I think those are good points. Uh, I would just, I guess, add... Uh, and actually, yeah, you mentioned Dybala. Um, I think that was... We were talking about it. Maybe it was him looking towards midweek and wanting mm. to be fit for CL. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a... A tough start to the weekend, I guess, fixtures for Juve because, you know, obviously they can't be losing too many points. So, hopefully, they probably were thinking this... Uh, this doesn't hurt us too badly. What's what's frustrating is uh, the fact that again, I, I as soon as Rugani went down in in pregame warmup, I said this is not going to end well. So with with the lick taking the opening goal, uh, might as well throw caution to the wind because you know Torino are gonna are gonna attack because. They have, you know, again, I keep keep uh, heart hyping Breckolo, but without Breckolo in the lineup, Torino are absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, you have that type of player who can uh, who can break you at any moment in time, which was which is what happened. You got to go for that second goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, don't sit back and constantly defend one goal leads, which what happened against the Swallow, and they they actually almost lost. Well, they didn't lose that game, but. That could have went to 120 minutes, which could have damaged. Uh, they could have lost that game against Atlanta as a consequence for going 120 minutes. So the the thing is, is that if you're up a lead, go for that second goal to give yourself an extra cushion, so you can sit back and absorb all the pressure, like he's notorious in doing uh, in Syria. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that should be common practice is that never just sit back on one goal. Yeah. Uh, okay. So thoughts from the non Juventus fans here, Chris, um, I would just add, I mean, obviously I'm happy to see, uh, Juve drop points. Um, I don't want to say too much cause we still have a couple more games to, to get into, but I guess I could just say that, um, this matchup kind of, set the trend so to speak for the weekend uh maybe i'll elaborate on that uh in a couple minutes yeah uh julian before we move on yeah no basically same thing you guys have all said i i know that's allegri ball i know that's how he likes to play but there's some times where you kind of got to change up your system yeah uh okay so let's move on to saturday's games uh, Sampdoria beat Empoli 2-0 uh, Sampdoria got both goals from Quagliarella uh, Michael there's a stat about Quagliarella if you can look up uh, I think it's like he scored in his consecutive season or something like that I think a, what, like a record or something uh, yeah it's something like is it 18 is it possible could be makes sense 
Because I think he started like he, consecutive calendar years. I think is what it was. Yeah, wow. something wild. Um, well, he looks that up. I'll continue. Uh, Roma tied Hellas Verona two two. Uh, Hellas Verona took a two nothing lead from the first goal. Was a great set piece. Uh, Chris, like, quick thoughts about that? About the set pieces? Yeah. Uh, I mean, managers hate conceding. Hate conceding them. Um, and when you when you're successful with them, you think, okay, it was it was worth putting that time in on the training pitch. So, uh, yeah, they they can win you games definitely. And uh, speaking about. Uh, game changers uh, and and at least rescuing games. Uh, Mourinho threw on his youth players uh, and both of them scored. So Volpato actually becomes uh, the youngest player to score in this season, Syria, uh, who actually bests the record set by his teammate, uh, Afina Jayan. And uh, Bove scores his, I think it's his first Roma's a senior Roma goal uh, to tie up the game. So uh, again, while Michael's looking up that stat, uh, Chris, you know a lot about Mourinho and youth players since you used to be a great Davide Santone fan. <laughs> yeah, I guess he has the ability to to bring the best out of them, but I guess the, the hard part is getting him to trust you at first, but once he does, he's definitely one to kind of work with you and help you realize your potential. Yeah, so uh, teams that uh, we'll, we'll get into Intercessuolo, I guess, after this, uh, actually after Milan, Salernitana, or excuse me, Salernitana, Milan. But, uh, you know, uh, there's a meme that's going wrong with uh, posting a picture of Mourinho's book. I think it's Nato Per Vincere, I think it's called. And uh, Juventus lost to Hellas Verona, uh, Roma rescue a point. There's a difference uh, between the, this season, uh, so that, that's uh, that was a great game to watch. Um, now, like I said, Chris, Salernitana Milan. Well, quickly, yeah. yeah. So again, just to just to confirm, so it's 18 consecutive calendar years. So the only uh, that fee was also achieved by two players. Can you guys guess the two players? Francesco Totti. No. Really? Sorry, Mike, Mike, repeat the, the feat again. So he scored in 18 consecutive calendar years, starting in 2005 and obviously now into 2022. Two other players have done it. Not in that time, but just two other players obviously yeah. have done it. Wow. Oh, shit. Pele? No. Wait, two other, sorry, two other players in, in Syria. Italy? I, th- I guess Syria. I think it's it's like in Syria. I'm sure it's happened elsewhere, but. Okay. It's in Syria. Okay. Di Natale? Natale? Was he around yeah, that long? Hold on, wait a second. Sorry? Di Natale? So wait, why are they... So actually, sorry, you're right. Totti has. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's more than this. So I guess this is not a massive deal. Because there's still... I see there's still a top five here. So he's actually not in the top five of players who have done this. But... I guess tying him at 18 years are two players, and then there's five players who have done more. Oh. So Totti's one. He did 23 years Jesus. from 94 to 2016. Del Piero did 20 years. Okay. Um, Di Natale? No. Gianni Rivera did it for 19 years. Okay. That makes Roberto sense. Mancini did it for 19 years. And uh, Jose Altafini. 
Those are all good players. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, and the other two at 18 years, Roberto Baggio and Sergio Pellissier. <laughs> <laughs> that was the next name on my list. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. All, all Serie A legends, if I might add. Yeah. 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 Okay, sorry, Chris. No, no, it's okay. Uh, so, yes, uh, Salernitana, Milan. This was, again, another opportunity. Uh, as we know, Milan's not playing midweek in Europe. Um, we know <laughs> how much Salernitana's been struggling. And so, again, good opportunity to kind of uh, gain ground on Inter uh, slash increase the lead, uh, knowing that there's that game in hand. But uh, they did make it 1-0 early on. Um, Teo Hernandez breaks in very easily. You kind of... It looked like a traditional Salernitana uh, defending. Uh, Tio Hernandez gets in very easily. He plays it in for Macias. Uh, left foot finish makes it 1-0. Uh, not much longer after that. Benacer free kick uh, required a nice save from Sepe, uh, but he keeps it out to make it 1-0. Uh, but the 1-1 goal uh, for Salernitana came from a cross from Salernitana's uh, right-hand side. Um, it's, it's towards the top of the box, you can tell Tomori was able, he was going to be able to challenge for it and at least make life difficult for the Salernitana attacker. Uh, but out comes Mike Menya uh, to try and clear it himself. It's it's a questionable decision because, like I said, Tomori was able to at least make like life difficult. Um, he misplays it. It bounces uh, for Bonazzoli, um, who puts it away kind of in a bicycle kick. Uh, to, again, to make it 1-1, and uh, that was the our goal of the round. Here it is. And yet it's come. He's missed it. Salernitana have leveled. Bonazzoli. A huge error by Mike Magnan. And the young Italian, the inter-youth, scores against the Rossoneri. So, yes, that makes it 1-1, uh, uh, also making the, the blue half of Milan very happy. Um, so there were a couple other chances for Milan in the first half. I thought Gidu should have done better on one in particular. It was a, you know an A-plus goal-scoring opportunity, uh, and he kind of put it right at Sepe. Uh, so obviously would have liked for him to have done better. Uh, Bonazzoli almost got his second uh, with a Rabona. Of all things, uh, another mistake from Mania coming out to play the box. Uh, he takes it off of him. This is Bonazzoli, uh, but he's unable to, to put it away. I think it was Romagnoli uh, who cleared it off the line, essentially. Um, Salernitana eventually go up to one cross from the right-hand side. Uh, Juric, or Juric, I guess it's pronounced. Uh, he heads it home with, with actually a nice finish as well. Uh, and then uh, Ante Rebic eventually comes on as a sub, uh, and he hits a well well-hit ball from about 25 yards out uh, to make it 2-2, and that would be the final score. So big point for Salernitana uh, as they try and, you know, make a season of it, uh, but obviously more so disappointing for uh, Milan, who uh, were hoping for, you know, Inter-Napoli uh, to also drop points later on in the weekend. Okay, uh, where to start? Um, I think I mentioned last week, I specifically said as that this game is not as easy as people thought it was. I did men- I did mistakenly mention that that you know Theo could have been suspended. I think it was only one game, unfortunately. Uh, 
But I said, uh, you know, the the new manager bounce. They're looking to, you know, as Chris m- mentioned just now, to make a season of it. Uh, it. It won't be as straightforward as as a lot of people thought. And that actually going into uh, Salerno, that that stadium, uh, even with the uh, restrictions on the number of fans in that stadium, it is still pretty loud. It's a loud stadium, and it's very close to the field. So it's it, it's also an, an intimidating stadium to play at. So, you know, the, the thinking that the that the title is all wrapped up, that uh, you know, Milan can increase the lead on on Inter because they have a, a game in hand, uh, and it wasn't that straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Milan and Co thought you know they had Sedia wrapped up. It's, there's still a lot to play. As I mentioned, I don't. I know there's that bump in results that we usually see when a new manager is hired. I don't I don't want to take anything away from Salernitana, but Milan gave this to them. They, they played very poorly. It wasn't that there was some, you know, new tactical approach that, that Nicola brought or he, you know, rotated the squad and, and whatnot. I, I, so I, I don't really want to attribute this point to the fact that there was a new manager in place. Uh, I just... I think there were so many mistakes on Milan's part, specifically uh, Magnat, who hasn't really made mistakes this year. But uh, yeah, he didn't help the cause. So I'm just not prepared to give Nicola that much credit. Okay. Um, let's do a roundtable on this game. Uh, Michael, then Julie. Uh, I think I read somewhere. I can't find it though now. Uh, it was It was some crazy stat. Like it would have been the first time that top team oh yeah i think i i think i, I saw it th- i saw it too something like that where they lost to the bottom team i, I don't remember exactly what it was i think it i think you i think it was i think it was on football, uh, actually i'm not going to mention the publication <laughs> the publication <laughs> the publication <laughs> that um is the first time that a team in first place couldn't beat the team in last place during the season I think I was. Got it. Okay, because they've already played. This is the second leg. You're saying. Yeah. Right. So, like the, the 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 team that was in currently in first place was unable to beat the team in last place. There I think it was like the first time since this happened because they would have been that. first. They would have been capitalist the first time they played as well. Is that they don't know Napoli would have been Napoli would have been no, but like this is the first time that that the whatever team that was in first place. Uh, was unable to beat the last place team. Yeah, that sounds. If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it sounds uh, like not a made up stat. Yeah, it's, well, it sounds like it, it could, like, it very well could not be true. You know, like I mean, yeah. this is just like, I don't know. Yeah, um, Julian. Um, I just thought it like to point out uh, Luigi Seppe's. Samir Handanovich impression on that game tying goal at the end of the game. Tried to do the laser eyes, unfortunately, it didn't work. <laughs> I think it was well hit. He maybe could have got a hand to it, but yeah, it doesn't look good when the keeper doesn't make an attempt. <laughs> laser eyes. Uh, okay, Chris, any last thoughts before we move on? No, I don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 
So I just I yeah. want to say I just want to say quickly, uh, it was like sweet karma for Christmas <laughs> <laughs> because Friday evening I think all we heard was Torino <laughs> with hearts, Bellotti, Bellotti, Amore, Il Gallo in capital letters. For <laughs> yeah, sure. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Future Milan legend of Gallo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the lunchtime Italian kickoff was uh, Fiorentina Atalanta, and Fiorentina actually got uh, the win through a uh, Christoph Piontek goal in the 56th minute. So that, after all the results uh, on Saturday, that was a boost for Juventus. Uh, the fact that Atalanta lost. Uh, moving on to uh, Venezia Genoa. Uh, Genoa tied uh, Venezia 1 1. That's not an interesting stat here. Uh, Genoa's new coach, I think it's Blezin. Uh, first time since Mahalovic that a manager has won, excuse me, excuse me, has tied his first four games. So I think it's when. Well, I mean, it's not a good stat. Well, yeah. Considering that, like, Genoa was very poor under Shevchenko. Uh, the fact that he collected four points in his first four games has given Genoa a lifeline. Yeah, you could also say they are, they're winless in their last four. It just depends which way you want to spin it. But... Well, when 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 you're a team uh, in the relegation zone, uh, or e- even if you're Juventus fighting for top four, a point is still a point. Fair enough. <laughs> And uh, go on to the game that Julian must be bitter about. Interest as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's as well. Yeah, so Inter, of course, look at this as a chance to retake first place with the game in hand. Um, and they... I don't know what happened in the top seven this week, but it just seemed like they all didn't play well. Uh, so Swole will take the lead 10 minutes in. Uh, Berardi strips Chalanoglu. Some people are calling for a foul. Uh, they did review it, said it was fine. I agree. I thought it was fine. Um, Raspadori eventually gets in, take a sh- takes a shot from the top of the box that's right at Handanovic, who somehow jumps over the ball. I genuinely don't understand how it's possible. He jumped over the ball. <laughs> um... So Swallow go up 1-0. Inter actually responded fairly well. I thought from that point they tried to play their game and were trying to create stuff, kind of ran play, but then unfortunately Sassuolo, well, unfortunately for me, fortunately for you guys, Sassuolo scored a second goal kind of against a run of play. Um, I'll give credit to the runs that they made in the box. Uh, they overloaded I guess, the right side, their right side of the field. So Berardi actually cut in. DeMarco ran to cover Berardi. Perisic, who's played, I think, 90 minutes the past 10 games with gas, just threw his arm up, hoping to catch Mac offside, which he was not, and was wide open for a back post header. Um, they go up 2-0. Inter, similar, again, after the first goal, similarly this time, they try and put on pressure, but it just doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, second half, I was actually happy to see Inzaghi switch to a three-four-one-two, um, but unfortunately, the strikers are useless right now. 
None of them can buy a goal if their life depended on it. Uh, Jekyll missed a sitter. Lautaro then missed an even worse sitter. It was just a bad game all around. They did potentially try and potentially score a goal in the 90th minute. Um, Vidal crossed it in for a DeBry header, but there was a rule that there was a hand up in, handball in the buildup. Uh, so Inter dropped this one 2-0. Sassuolo has now actually beaten Inter Milan and Juve on the season. Um, and yeah, Inter unfortunately aren't able to take advantage of Milan dropping points. So, what I found interesting post game was uh, I think Bergomi, who's on um, Sky Calcio in Italy, made a good point: is that event? Uh, excuse me, Inter are finally paying for the difficult month that they had in January. In the sense that they had to play, you, Julian, you talked about it, the fact that they had to play Juventus, um, Co- uh, Copa Italia <laughs> against Roma, they had to play Milan. Yeah. There was, it was Lazio, Atalanta, Juve, the long Empoli Copa Italia game. Venezia was thrown in there, but then, yeah, there was Milan, Roma, Napoli, Liverpool, now Sassuolo. Yeah, so that's a difficult stretch of games. And then the fact that they had to turn over the team because of fatigue and then... And yeah, getting, I meant yeah. to mention Grozovic and Bastoni were both suspended, so they were both out for this game. Yeah, and, and then the fact that I believe Gagliardini started, correct? Oh, fuck. That was, I don't know <laughs> what he does. He's literally a step behind everybody in the offensive and defensive side of the field. Genuinely, I don't know what he does. They tried to play Barella in the Brozovic role and Gagliardini in the normal Barella role, but all that ended up happening was Barella was trying to cover two positions because Gagliardini is nowhere to be found. It's astonishing. I don't know how he's still on the team. Yeah, so uh, to that point, <laughs> it was not, not that it was not a surprise. It was foreseeable that this could have happened. Yeah, so I did see a good point, actually, from uh, Inter... Everybody's favorite Inter Twitter character is Siavush Falahi. Um, <laughs> he raises a good point, though, saying Zaggy kind of needs to learn that not every game needs to be in Zaggy ball. Not every game needs to be them trying to dominate possession and play their game. This would have been a perfect game, especially with, I think it was four, four rotations in the squad to kind of try and sit back and force Sassuolo to attack. We know Sassuolo likes to play on the counter. That's what they do. So it would have been interdicted to them last year, actually. Conte, that was one of the games they played against Sassuolo. They, I think, have 30% possession because they just played Sassuolo's game against them, sat back and countered. So it would have been interesting to see Inzaghi maybe try a different approach, um, especially with a weakened squad, in my opinion. All right, let's let's ask our uh, resident manager on the podcast, Chris. Yeah, no, it's not a bad idea. I think whether you sit back, I think once in a while you just have to do something a little bit different tactically. So yeah, uh, adjust your Inzaghi ball, play on the counter, do something different because you know, like you know, any professional sport, really, teams are going to analyze you. They're going to pick up on your tendencies and your triggers and all that stuff, and they'll they'll game plan for it. So and and. I think, like Julian said, it's why not try it when you have rotated the squad a little bit uh, to try and do something different. So I, I agree with that. 
So, uh, Michael, from a Juventus point of view, mm-hmm. I thought this result was the most fundamental out of the top seven. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave yeah, it at that. I mean, you're, yeah, yeah you, you're, you're still able to cling to, I guess, uh, your optimistic dreams. And again, I'm going I'm to let you be optimistic <laughs> until it's mathematically impossible i'm gonna let you have it yeah so the reason why he's saying that is because uh i've been saying um last week that it's still nine points so that hasn't changed it's still nine points and it could have been i believe it was 10 correct if inter won it's still 10 if inter win their game in hand okay so it's still 10 but if if any of them would have won they could have put Juventus's chances to bed right then and there in the, in this uh, uh, in the, this round. So uh, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll we'll hold on on that thought on the, on the greater picture of the top uh, seven. I uh, just want to get through the rest of the games and then we'll go from we'll, we'll talk about it. So uh, to end off Sunday, uh, Undinese tied Lazio one one. De Feo scored early uh, in the fifth minute and then it was tied up. Uh, from Felipe Anderson. There was games uh, Monday. Uh, Michael, uh, the first game was uh, Cagliari-Napoli. Yeah. So the first uh, first one here was uh, Vacag-Napoli. <laughs> it was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... We already kind of mentioned the struggles that the top seven have had uh, this weekend and, and this was the opportunity for Napoli to um, really make some noise and, and kind of solidify their um, their potential, I think, just because, again, all the other teams are tripped up. Uh, and it, <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't take the opportunity. It's as simple as that. It's uh, 0-0 going into the second half. Um, Cagliari actually get the opening goal from Gaston uh, Pereiro again, uh, 58 minutes in, and it uh, takes a very late Osman uh, header to tie the game in the 87th minute. Uh, and you know, without that, Napoli. Um, I mean, I think there were there were some. Was there a goal called back? I believe there was. Uh, in any case, there were there were some issues. Uh, for Napoli here, but it, it, it just, it wasn't, they didn't do enough um, to, I guess, dispose of uh, a team in, in the relegation battle. And I think that's, that's really an issue for, it has been an issue, for, I think, for most of the top seven teams this year. And, and that is kind of why we are where we are, right? There, there's still a good race with the top three. And now there's going to be a potentially even, um, uh, a crazier race for the fourth position between Juve, Atalanta, Lazio, Fiorentina, and even Roma now, I guess. So, again, it, it just it's par for the course for this week, along with um, just some some sweet, uh, I guess, revenge. Uh, we'll say for uh, for Mazzari. Uh, so speaking about Mazzari and uh, excuses, no, that's uh, a revenge. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. But I said speak about Mazzari and, and excuses. Uh, I just had an excuse that come, maybe could excuse Napoli. Uh, Di Lorenzo actually had to come off 
with a concussion about I think it was about twenty minutes in. Something like that, yeah. Early, so he yeah. tried to play on, but he could not. Yeah, he was obviously concussed. So I mean, your best same same thing with you with event with Juventus uh, injuries to key players uh, influence games, and of course, when you're missing your best defender, uh, well, maybe not maybe not for Napoli in the sense that your best right back rest best right back when probably who came on Mario Rui, uh, Malqui. Uh, well, okay, he hasn't played in like uh, consistently in eighteen months, so. Uh, I think that definitely had uh, definitely conditioned the game and 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 put Napoli on the back foot, uh, which early. allowed early, yeah, which allowed Cagliari to to gain a foothold. So uh, that's my excuse for for Napoli. <laughs> Anyone else? Jump in. No excuses. No yeah, excuses. No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> no excuses. Uh, okay, so let's. Uh, Let's get into the last game, and then we'll uh, we'll open up to a general uh, discussion. I will bounce some 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 topics. Uh, so Genoa in the final game of the round, uh, Genoa beat Spezia two uh, one. Uh, Ex Interplayer Manaj uh, squad. Manai. Manai. I said Manaj. Manaj. Score. Score. Scored eleven minutes in. Uh, to make it one nothing, uh, and then another interflare, former interflare, Julian uh, Anatovic scored a double uh, to make it a two one. Uh, so Michael, give her a, a roundup of the table, and we'll open up to discussion. Yeah. So where we sit again, um, Milan with the draw uh, actually gain one point on uh, Inter, although they again remain one game uh, played ahead of Inter, uh, but they're at 56 points. Inter are second with 54, tied with Napoli at 54. Uh, Juve maintain fourth position and gain on Atalanta, so now they are a full uh, three points. So again, even with Atalanta's game in hand, if they win it, they would be tied at that point. Um, but again, 47 for Juventus, Atalanta 44, and Lazio uh, at 43. Fiorentina we're actually uh, the only team here that uh, actually won to gain any position in this uh, in this tight race for four, fourth, I guess, four, five, and six. So European really competition places. So uh, again, Fiorentina have been finding a way uh, as of late to um, really, I guess, solidify and maintain their uh, potential European, uh, I guess, objectives. And uh, again, Roma draw again, so they, I guess, keep pace with uh, with that fourth position there, at least still being um, only six points, I guess, back at that point. Uh, that's the top half, I guess, uh, bottom half here. So with uh, draws from all three of the bottom teams, again, that helps them to some capacity, except uh, Venezia and Udinese also drew, so they don't really gain much uh, room over the teams in 16 and 17, uh, but Spezia lost, so that's perhaps good for them as well. So uh, Cagliari in 18th with 22 points, Genoa 19th with 16 points, and Salernitana with their lowly 14. So that's one more point closer to our over-under of 18. Right, from last week. Uh, Okay, so speaking about Cagliari, 
they collected uh, 12 points in seven Serie A games this this year, so 2022. Uh, two more than the first half of the Serie A season. Repeat that. Okay. So, but yeah, I'll put it in numbers. They collected 10 points in 19 games. Okay. And then they, in 2022, they have collected 12 points I see. from seven games. Just goes to show you how terrible they were yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who was the manager? Was it Di Francesco? No. Uh, no, it was Semplici. Yes, to start of the year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's wild. Another point I, I, I thought of as uh, Mike was speaking about Roma, uh, Mourinho is most likely going to get suspended. Well, he got sent off. Yeah. Uh, credit class going in to acknowledge uh, Tudor's performance in that game before he got escorted off. But to me, the hilarity of his being sent off is what. Uh, is probably going to get him the two two games was the fact that he made a reference to a telephone with his hand. And <laughs> so I can't get through this without laughing. Um, the referee who is the son of the referee, one of the referees that was suspended in the Caltropoli scandal uh, 15 years ago now. Uh, 17. Uh, and I think he said, quote, Juventus sent you. <laughs> Great, man. Uh, is, there, is that a rhetorical question? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, again, uh, I, I had to bring that up. That, that I would have been, been disappointed if I would have forgot to bring that up uh, just because of its pure comedic value. Um, so, uh, from the Juventus point of view, I said the uh, interstitial result was the most fundamental. Uh, I want to get the point of view from the Milan fan and the Inter fan. Uh, I know, it, you know, uh, what result struck you the most uh, this round? Let's go, Chris. I mean, outside of the Milan game, just for personal reasons, um a good question. I thought Inter, I, I think we would agree in terms of just depth, you know, Inter and Juve have the deepest team, so I was... I don't know what, I don't know what you had this would go on. Well, it's your opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know historically Sassuolo's kind of always given Inter a good game, but uh, I just thought Inter's depth and kind of experience um, would have allowed them to be successful in that Sassuolo game. Not that it was going to be an easy one, but I was fully... I expecting them to uh, to come away with the three points. And I, I know, Julian, you thought it was – I was throwing the reverse jinx on you guys Saturday there, but <laughs> I genuinely thought you guys are going to win. So I, I would say Inter Sassuolo was the biggest surprise for me. Julian? Um, I'll go the Fiorentina-Atlanta game. I know Atlanta is dealing with a bit of an injury crisis on their own right now. Zapata is probably out a little bit longer. Um but, hey, Fiorentina, I was looking at the standings earlier. They're, I think, five points back of Juve in fourth with a game in hand. Um, so, I mean, it would be poetic justice just to see Fiorentina get that fourth spot on the last match day against Juve. 
and Michael. Yeah, it would be. I agree. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no, we we love the comedic value on this show. Yeah, no, I I just want. Uh, Again, if UBA can't win the league, I just want ultimate chaos. Um, but again, I, I still want UBA to be in the top four. So, and as much as I just like maybe them, that means, I think, hey, sorry. As much as I just like them, I think for the sake of Serie A, they need to be in the top four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, um, if we really want to talk about results, I think because I, I was talking with uh, another friend of the show. Uh, you know about Spalletti and how uh, at his time with Inter um, he was a serial choker. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I said, well, you know, have you really seen that with Napoli this season? Uh, you, you know, usually he's he's gotten out results against big teams. Uh, you know, maybe this season will be different. So. Outside of, you know, from my Juventus lens point of view, I thought that was the most surprising result. You know, after knowing that all your competitors have dropped points, knowing the fact that you can pull within, you can you can tie Milan, essentially. Uh, putting in a performance, the fact that they couldn't break down Kaidi in the first half, uh, concede first to Kaidi and then have to rescue point. Uh, I, I think even Spalletti himself said it that they were lucky to even get a point from that game. Uh, to me, is probably the, the, the biggest result um, the, this the this weekend. Thoughts? Let's go, Chris Michael Julian. No, I mean I, I think all of the all the big clubs will be disappointed with their results some more than others obviously but um i think as much as it sucks at the time for each of those big clubs to see those results overall i think it's good for the league it kind of keeps things congested in certain parts of the table uh and and keeps you know more clubs interested later on in the season so uh, that's the my glass half full answer (laughs) michael yeah no i i concur I think, uh, again, I was mentioning before, Napoli probably uh, want to redo their game because, again, losing – or not losing, but dropping points um, to, I guess, the bottom of the table, just like Milan did, I guess, technically, right? Like Chris saying, like Milan had a really great opportunity to um, really make some – create some space between them uh, and, the, and the other teams in the top half. So it's uh, – like Chris said, they're all going to be ruining this uh, this match day. Was it twenty six? Yeah, yeah, twenty six. Um, I think also I just want to mention again specifically that although Juve are are out of it, I will I will say that Allegri potentially out of it, potentially potentially out of it. Um, I think Allegri needs to just demand a little bit more from. Um, from the squad, because again, I, I don't see this uh, so far. I haven't seen this season be like a really runaway season from any of these squads. Like Inter last year were, were clearly the best team. I, I don't see that this year. So if that's the case, I don't see how Juve can't be better than they're being. And I want to say as well, 
Vlaovic has not been good enough. That's it. Uh, I mean, th- that's the risk of getting players in January. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw with Piontek as well. Uh, when when he went to Milan, they spent, was it $40 million, Chris? It was, I guess it was 30 Yeah. And, and he was scoring left, right, and center. It was the same, kind of the same situation. He had a good first half season with Genoa, went to Milan, did nothing. That's the risk when you when you when you spend in, in January. Um, Julian, I, w- I want to get your thoughts because uh, Spalletti coached Inter as well. So, to be honest, it's and it's not necessarily just him. To me, it's Napoli in general. Like they don't, I don't see them like as intimidating. Like they obviously had their season before against Juve where they had the title essentially wrapped up and they blew it. Um, Spalletti, I mean, yeah, I watched, he got Inter back in the Champions League and everything, which was great, but yeah, there were definitely some games where Inter should have won and he just couldn't get it done long-term. Um, but yeah, I'm just not necessarily afraid of Napoli this year. I agree Michael's right. I don't think there's a team that's far and away better than the others that'll run away with it. I think it'll go down to the wire, really. Um, but yeah, I'm not that surprised by Napoli dropping points. Yeah, that's why I keep saying that. Still nine points. I think anything can happen. So, uh, to that point, let's take a look at um, the games uh, for next weekend. Uh, Milan and Inter play on Friday. So, Milan play Udinese at 12.45 uh, Eastern Standard Time. Genoa host Inter at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. On Saturday, it's uh, Empoli Juventus at noon. Uh, Salernitana versus Bologna at uh, 9 a.m. And Sassuolo Fiorentina at uh, 2.45. And on Sunday, it's uh, Torino Cadri at the lunchtime kickoff. Hellas Verona versus Venezia at uh 3 p.m. Italian time. Uh, Spezia hosts Roma at uh, 6 p.m. Italian time. And then uh, probably the get best game of the weekend, Lazio-Napoli at uh, 8.45 Italian time. And on Monday, it's Atalanta-Sampdoria at 2.45 Eastern Standard Time. So uh, let's let's take the two games on Friday. Milan-Dineza and, and uh, Genoa-Inter. You know, could we see a repeat of this weekend? Let's go. Let's go. The Milan fan first, and then Julian. I mean, I want to believe they that the most recent round kind of gave every each of those big clubs that you know maybe that kick in the ass that they needed. You know, remind them that you know every game is going to be difficult and allow them to refocus. So. I don't want to say there won't be any upsets for the next round. I think it's always possible, but I would be surprised if all seven of the top seven uh, struggled with their games again this week. Joy? I actually think, so Inter's next two games, league games are Genoa and Salernitana. I think those are two must-win games. They've had a tough schedule. They haven't been in the best form, but those are two must-win games. Um, and I would actually love to see Handanovic benched. I think he's been a huge part of the issue. He's supposed to be the captain and leading, but when he lets in a goal, 
a bad goal 10 minutes into a game where you're already under immense pressure, like it just increases that tenfold. I so I'd I love s- to see them bench him for a game. Okay, to that point, before we move on, uh, I think I saw a stat. I think they conceded six goals from 15 shots, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Inter's defenders, they literally can't allow a shot because there's a fairly good chance it's going to go in. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a shocking stat, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that's a perfect uh, area to end. Uh, you know, general, like I said, has tied four straight games, so we'll see. That's going to be interesting to, to pay attention. That's why I, I like uh, Friday's games, except for uh, um, Lazio and Napoli. But uh, I think the Friday games, is uh, I'm going to be looking forward to that one. Okay, so let's move on and do a quick roundup of um, of Champions League. So uh, Julian interplayed <laughs> Liverpool. Just a quick recap of what happened in that game. Um, I actually thought Inter played well that game, uh, but same, it's been their same story for a large part of the season, even a large part of the past couple of years. When chips are down and they need to score, they just struggle. Um, so they unfortunately couldn't really generate that much in terms of goals. Um, and Liverpool got the breakthrough late, I think, in the 75th minute-ish off of a corner, and then they scored another kind of scrappier goal uh, in the 83rd or so, and yeah, finished 2-0 for Liverpool. Quickly, do you think they, without because the, there's no away goal rule, yeah. is, it, uh, is it still possible? Miracle? No. No, no not at no. all. Not at all, okay. Uh, okay, that, that, that's done. If anyone else has any thoughts on Inter-Liverpool? No? Michael? Forza Liverpool. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's move on. Uh, let's move on to uh, Champions League preview. Uh, Viral, Juventus, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is uh, an interesting matchup, and I think it's going to be... Um, I'm I'm curious to see kind of what, what squad comes out and, and with what intensity, because, mm. you know, they've, they've shown more confidence of late um they haven't lost i think i pulled this they haven't lost since like november uh except for the supercopa um but yeah i think like this is a really good opportunity sorry yeah they haven't lost today but they lost supercopa and i think they lost to chelsea at one point chelsea, as well. yeah chelsea and yet um, still finished first but go on yes right so again, I think this is a really good opportunity to just um, give themselves even more confidence and kind of help build their um, their season-ending uh, triumph of winning the Scudetto uh, and uh, possibly even Champions League. I think this is the first step. So <laughs> I, get, I think just realistically, though, this is them. They need to find a way to make this next uh, game. Uh, the pivot point for the rest of the season. Like they mm. need to to really own it, make sure that they come out and they take it because and then that's going to give themselves confidence to at least battle uh, in those two competitions. Uh, no, uh, that's a good point. Uh, you know, for uh, before doing this podcast, I, I thought, well, you have nothing to lose in, in this game. Uh, just don't don't sit back, go full tilt. Uh, away goals are worth are worth. Or, uh, aren't worth anything, anything extra. Uh, don't worry about about. Uh, doesn't matter if you concede. Just, just play. 
don't don't I, I don't want to see a repeat of the the Chelsea Juventus. You know, yeah. they sat back and they still conceded four goals. You know, it, like there's a difference between conceding four goals and sitting back and then conceding four goals and at least actually making a game of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just want I just want uh, that's why I was glad that not glad but. Uh, relieved that the Dybala injury was just a precautionary uh, substitution and the fact that Dybala most likely will be fit for this game. So with the just, just go for it. Don't yeah. don't worry about defending a lead or defending a 0-0 because you're playing away so you can go back home and, and yeah, try to exactly. win the game at home. Try to... Uh, Go for it. Score away. This way, if you want to go back, you can defend at home in front of your home fans. Most likely, it's going to be a packed uh, Allianz uh, Stadium for the first time probably all season. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, Julian, thoughts before we move on? No, I'm good. Good, Julian? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Uh, EL. So, uh Probably the biggest game of uh, the round for Italian teams was uh, Barca-Napoli. Uh, Napoli uh, took the lead uh, early. Uh, I think it was, uh, was a header from uh, Osimen. I think we got to double check. It was... Sorry, for Napoli? Yeah, it's for Napoli. Hold on, I have it here. I think it was, you know, was at three. Was, yeah, Zelensky, and then yeah, it was, yeah, it was a nice passing play that ended up onto Zelensky, who like rifled it. Oh, his first shot was blocked, and then he got the rebound. Uh, then after that, and Napoli were absolutely dominated. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people were, were saying how uh, Barcelona should have had three in this game. Uh, uh, they eventually get. A lucky break, in my opinion, it, it should have ended one nothing Napoli without this lucky break. Uh, Juan Jesus actually uh, came on, and uh, no, excuse me, he started left back, and it was unfortunate. His hand was out; uh, the ball hit his hand. Uh, PK for Barcelona ended up tying one one. Honestly, Fernand uh, Torres should have had another two goals, but Napoli escaped with a draw. An important draw going back to the uh, uh, to the Stadio uh, Maradona, uh, which again anything can happen. We said uh, last week that fifty uh, fifty if if uh, Napoli can can sneak uh, outside of this or can sneak through this round, they have a, probably the best shot uh, to win the title. Uh, thoughts on this game before we move on to the next game. I only saw the last ten minutes, but yeah, like you said, Paulo, it was it was in a Barcelona onslaught. I'm surprised I didn't score at least one, so Napoli kind of got away with it. But uh, that's how that's how it works in these tournaments. Uh, so another leg and see how they do. Uh, Michael Julian, yeah, no, I think uh, kind of said it all there. Okay, uh, Atalanta Olympiacos. Yes, so uh, just give me a minute here. I'm bringing up my notes. Uh, yes. A uh, f- couple of good chances early on from Atalanta, um, specifically Muriel. Uh, he had a good chance to score uh, to make it 1-0 um, after a cross uh, from the left-hand side, I believe it was. Uh, the first goal, though, came in the 16th minute. Suarez cut in uh, and drove it right on the ground past Musso. 
And uh, Atalanta appeared to have tied it up uh, right before halftime, but VAR called it back. Uh, so it wasn't until the 61st minute when Atalanta center back uh, Berat Jim City uh, comes on, takes advantage of a set piece and puts it away. And then just two minutes later, uh, again, the center back with his second goal of the game, uh, put it away off a set piece to make it 2-1. And that was the final score there. So good result for Atalanta. I don't have the box score up, but I believe that was at home. Uh, although yeah. it doesn't matter anymore because there's no away goals rule. So either way, uh, good results. And I would say Atalanta are set up uh, fairly well to uh, progress in the Europa League. And the last game for Italian teams, Porto versus Lazio. Um, so this one, Lazio actually took the lead early on. Uh, they were playing away in Porto. Uh, Zaccagni scored... 23rd minute. Um, unfortunately, whoever Lazio weren't able to hang on to that. A brace from Tony Martinez put Porto up 2-1, to one, and that's how it finished. Um, now, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible result for Lazio. I think Porto is a fairly solid team, um, and hopefully they can go back to the Olympico and maybe get a 2-0 win. And I don't think uh, Immobile was started this game either. Um, checking now. No, he didn't. Yeah. So I think I think he's expected to start on Thursday as well. Yeah, they had Pedro playing in a false nine. Yeah. So it's good. I guess only being down one goal uh, without your main striker in the lineup, I think that's a, considered a, a decent result, especially playing against Porto, uh, who you know has a solid team. Uh, I think there's some Canadian content, right, Julian? Yeah, uh, Eustachio actually made an appearance in this game. It was only for a few minutes, um, but still nice to see him come on in a somewhat important game for Porto. Yeah, European game, seeing a Canadian player. It's not just Jonathan David or Atiba Hutchinson in this in this role. Well, excuse me. Sorry, I forgot Davies, <laughs> but still, um, still point taken. Uh, I, th- I mean, just a uh, roundtable quickly. Uh, I guess so. Inter's Inter's done. Julian, you're yeah. you agree um, with that? Yeah, I mean, maybe they go three, four, one, two, and just go all out attack. I think that's their only option. But even then, the way their <laughs> strikers aren't are not scoring, I don't see it happening. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, on Tuesday between Villarreal Juventus. Uh, I think Juventus should at least come out of there with a draw. We'll see. Uh, in the Europa League, I think all, all three teams are still alive. Would, you agree, uh, would all of you agree with that assessment? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Michael? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, this was a very long episode, but I think it called for a long episode because of whatever happened. Reasons. Uh, you know, considering that, uh, who knows? The first time that previous last, uh, previous season's top seven didn't win. Uh, the news about limiting loans and and European comp- cup competition definitely does call for a long episode. Uh, so to wrap it up, uh, let's uh, now you guys can mention whatever we missed, whatever you want to get off your chest. Uh, here's your opportunity. We'll go Julian, Michael, Chris. 
Um, to be honest, I don't think we missed too much. I got everything out I wanted to say. Michael? Uh, I just want to um, say Forza, everyone but Inter. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris? Uh, oh, covered everything. Another another busy week with European and football on and Sediac football on, so looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, I think, again, it, uh, it it is a week where there's games on every single day, correct, of the week? Yes. yes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and with that, uh, let's end the episode here. Uh, thank you for listening to this extra long uh, special edition of Red to This Way. And I hope you all... Uh, join us again next week. Until then, enjoy the full week of Caltro and ciao.